Hey there, this is Aziza. Welcome back to Breaking Silence. This is a safe space and this is a brave space for discussing race in America. We talk about race amongst friends, amongst new contacts, and across racial boundaries. We're so glad that you've joined us as we try out this new tech platform of podcast versus what we did in 2020, which was the video podcast on YouTube. We wanna bring these conversations to you in a way that's more efficient and more convenient for you to listen to and learn from when you're on the go, when you're driving, when you're doing whatever you wanna do while you listen to podcasts. We wanna thank you for your grace and your patience with us as we work through this first episode and the technology bumps in the road that we encountered. We thank you for staying with us. We thank all of our new listeners and we appreciate your patience with us on these future episodes that you'll hear talking about social media. Enjoy. Okay, well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the very first podcast of Breaking Silence. For those of you who have been with us along this journey, we have migrated from a video format on YouTube to our very first audio podcast, and we're very excited. I am Jen, I am one of your co-hosts here today, and our podcast is all about having real conversations about race in America. I am a white wife, mother of two fur babies, and professional working woman living just outside of Atlanta, and I'd love to let my co-host also introduce herself. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to those of you who have stuck with us since 2020, and welcome to our new listeners. I am Aziza. I am a 36-year-old female uh, living in Southern California. I am biracial, the proud daughter of a Black father and a white mother. I've got four younger brothers, and I happen to be engaged to a white man. Today, Jen and I are super excited because we have our very first guest to the podcast. Um, and this is not just any guest, all right? This is a very special guest. We have Louis Aiello. Some of you may be familiar with him um, from his channel, Coffee Talk with Lulu. If you haven't, we'll put the information here in the description box so that you can go check him out and follow him. Uh, he is a social media expert, both in his personal and um, more than personal, um, but using his platform and his voice to reach more than just his inner network. Um, and we are really excited to spend the time today talking to Lewis. Um, fun fact, Jennifer and I have both known Lewis for 13 years. We started working together at Disney, and this is the very first time we will be talking about race. So, Lewis, please introduce yourself to the group and share a little bit about, about yourself. Well, sure. Hello, everyone. And thank you so much, Aziza and Jennifer, for having me with you today. It's quite an honor, and I'm really grateful that you approached me to come here today to talk to you about uh, some very important topics in our country and our world at the moment. Uh, my name is Lewis, and I am a 32-year-old white male living right outside of Orlando, Florida. Um, I am Italian-American. And um, I'm also part of the LGBT community as a gay man. And I'm also happily married. Uh, a few, just a few months, was married just last year during COVID. I don't recommend planning a wedding during a <laughs> pandemic, but uh, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. But um, 
but that's a little bit of me. Thank you for having me today. <laughs> Thanks, We're very and listen, if anybody was going to pull off an amazing wedding during a pandemic, it was you. So <laughs> thank you. You wrapped it. <laughs> it, social media included. And so today's episode, uh, if you haven't picked up on it yet, we are going to be talking about social media as it relates to the conversations around race in America and our experiences really over the past, let's say, year, um, interacting and navigating social media and what's been going on as it relates to race relations in our, in our country. Um, so before we get started, though, I mentioned earlier that, Lewis, we've known you for 13 years. That's over a decade. We've been really, you know, spent a lot of time with you working day in and day out. We've been friends on social media and in real life for all these years. But this is the first time we've ever talked about race. Why is that? Yeah, I think that's such a great question. And I think that's one that we definitely have to reflect on uh, as we dive deep into these types of conversations about why, why now and why haven't we had these conversations sooner. And I do believe it's a, a lot of our generational upbringing. I can tell you from personal experience and from my parents' teachings, it's almost a little bit of a taboo to talk about sensitive topics that relate to race or religion or politics, especially in the workplace. We've had, even till this day, a lot of companies who make it very apparent that they don't mm -hmm. want their employees having these active conversations. And if they do, the company will usually handle it in their own internal public affairs department, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to allowing the platform for their employees or for other people to be able to talk about different ideals and um, visions. So I think because of that, when these conversations do come up, it's, we feel a little awkwardness, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, we feel a little awkwardness to having them because we really haven't had the experience of being direct and blunt with one another and feeling comfortable enough to that and normalizing these types of conversations, because yeah. it's been ingrained in our heads that at least in our country, that, you know, it, you just don't talk about these time, kind of topics, you kind of leave that to the side, that home life, that private life, essentially. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, as you were talking, I was, I was thinking about it too. And you're right. It's how we were raised, even so to the point that like, for me, I didn't, I didn't even feel like anything was missing this whole time until last year, you know, after George Floyd's murder, that was the first time I realized, you know, I don't, I'm not bringing my whole self to my relationships and my friendships. And I wonder if these, these, this cultural upbringing, like you said, is preventing us. I mean, I guess I don't wonder. I know now that the way we were raised to, you know, what's appropriate and what's taboo, it prevents us from, from being fully present in our relationships and having, you know, genuine, meaty, complex, and re ultimately rewarding relationships. I think it also stems from feeling that fear of calling out the labels, essentially, and I put labels in quotations that we all carry in our lives, whether not even just about race, but our religion, our sexual orientation. You know, we, we I, at least I know I've, I've grown up believing that if you don't see color, you're being a good person, you're being anti-racist. And I think we've learned in recent months that's not really the case. It's not all we, we need to be doing more. Yes, when we say I don't see color, we think we're being good and we're being allies and we're being supportive by being inclusive. And indirectly, yes, but there's so much more layers to that so that we and we need to be able to normalize seeing color and not make it that it's a bad thing. But the fact that we're able to celebrate each other's backgrounds and each other's differences and be able to 100 percent absorb our friends struggles, their successes, their rewards, their life, 
because of their race, because of their sexual orientation, because only then will we truly understand, empathize with what they go through. So indirectly, I think we've learned that while the intent is good of saying the words, oh, I don't see color, it almost, it, it, it's only for the short term and it kind of boomerangs back to hit us into really being able to appreciate all that comes in with different walks of life so that when we do have a topic that comes up that might be sensitive or a hardship, we can approach it with a little bit more empathy than if we were back in the day when we said, oh, I don't see color and just kind of put a blinder on about it. Yeah. Cool. And so can I ask you too, since I have you both, I know Jen and I talk about it um, from time to time, but since I have both of you on and it's a new year, you know, we've learned a lot from 2020. Can I ask you to, so do, are white people now talking about race, like in and amongst themselves, like, are groups of white people talking about race more and more? That is a great question. And I, well, <clears throat> I am, I feel challenged in answering that simply because I feel so isolated from people with this pandemic going on right now that um, I feel like my exposure to what's happening in other circles is really limited. And I could probably really only speak to what's happening in my own and I, That's I, a good I would say, um, I don't know that we're having, like my parents and um, extended family are having more open conversations regarding race specifically, but maybe more conversations that are open around some of the politics that we see related to it, or um, obviously the conversation about police brutality, um, you know, Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, um, those types of things. I think I'm seeing people kind of leaning into those conversations a little bit more freely because it's just so much more present, I think. Yeah, the Jennifer's point, uh, I think it's a little hard to have in-person direct dialogues with people as I know we're all trying to do our best to stay safe with them. Which leads me to uh, my own observation, and that is I believe that I've seen a, definitely a lot more posts on social media about race or about very sensitive topics come up as of late. Um, people feeling more inclined to share their views or share articles that might be uh, sensitive, but things that they feel need to be said. So I, I, do, I have seen an, a major increase in political and race discussions on Facebook and other social media apps. Mm. That makes sense. And thanks, Lewis. That um, gets us to what we're here to talk about today, which is um, that whole component of social media. And, you know, when you say that, the thing that like pops out to me is that, dang, we've never had these conversations before. And now because of the fact that we're in a pandemic, the very first time we're having these conversations is on social media, which is, to me, seems backward. It's like not this is not how we would want to have these for the first time. And I think we might be seeing some um, repercussions from that <laughs> on social media. So I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, it's just really hard to communicate what you're feeling on on an app where, you know, people really can't see your face or they can't see your nonverbal communication. Um, all they have to all they have to go on is either a picture or, you know, your words that you're choosing to write. And if you're not the best writer, let's say, and you don't really have the strongest writing ability to translate your message, it could be interpreted 
a hundred different ways than what you initially intended. So you're putting yourself at risk, you know, uh, um, already putting yourself out there for public viewing. And to your point, if you're not really, like we talked about a few minutes ago, we really haven't been having these discussions because we've learned throughout the years that, hey, it's not really maybe the most mature or, or appropriate to talk about them. And now here we are trying to talk about them and we don't really know how to go about it. And we're not, it's not that we have ill intentions or we're bad people. It's just, I think some people maybe don't, there's a difference between being malicious about what you're writing and then having, you know, your communication style maybe not be exactly what you want it to be. And obviously if you were able to facilitate your message in person, it would be a little bit better. But to your point, now that it's all out there for public viewing and public interpretation, you are a little bit more exposed. Um, than if you were to have a one-on-one -on -one dialogue with maybe someone and, and uh, you know, a little coffee talk in person versus on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. That, you know, that brings up a question um, in my mind of when we think about people engaging these conversations for the first time on social media, I'd be curious what both of you think in regards to, do you think that people feel uh more courageous to be more honest and blunt in how they're sharing on social media versus what they may be willing to actually say to someone's face, like kind of that keyboard warrior um, that comes out in some people. Do you see that playing out too? I do. I see that. And even myself, I've experienced it a little bit. There have been times where I felt very strong or brave to put something out there on Facebook and social media. But then when push comes to shove and I'm having a Thanksgiving dinner with, you know, several family members that maybe have different views than me, I'm maybe, you know, that's where my fight or flight syndrome comes in. Now, granted, there have been times where the fight syndrome has kicked in more than the flight and I have no problem having a debate. Um, <laughs> but to, But I think to your point where I'm a little bit more calculated in picking those battles, if you will, in person, whereas on Facebook, uh, I, I seem to be a little bit more at ease, uh, knowing that I'm in the comfort of my own home, typing up my words and being able to put it out there for everyone to see, knowing you know well enough that most of my audience is going to agree with me. So I think having that confidence is kind of um, what helps expedite my uh, nervous uh, nervous system and being able to actually hit the post button. You know, I will say. Um... I, of course, yes, people are more courageous and they're willing to share p opinions and who has encountered microaggressions and macroaggressions both in person and now on social media. The sting is still the same. I, I can, when, when y'all were just talking, I was just imagining, I was trying to think about my experience and I haven't, I, I don't really have people that like openly talk about race um, on social media. I, that, that I can recall, but what I have had is like an uncle post a blue lives matter, you know, photo frame or whatever. And so that, that stings just like a microaggression might sting in the workplace of someone saying, Oh, Aziza, you're the whitest black person we know. Or, um, when someone posted somebody, one of my close, close friends actually posted, um, a picture about, it was like my first playhouse and like a Democrat's first playhouse or something. It was like a Fisher Price playhouse and someone had like graffitied it with BLM and it was on fire. And it was like that stung like so bad. And I think what people aren't maybe not realizing is that, that yes, they're more aggressive and they're, they're more brave to post these things, but like the effect of them 
is the same as if you would be hurting somebody, you know, in person and they have to take that and live with that and move on. I don't, I don't know if people are realizing that, that their voice. I think that brings up such a great point. And I've seen many posts like that where it could be something as simple as a picture or a meme, as we say, right? Those, you know, or those gifts where you think you're posting mm, a joke, yes. but, and you think that your audience is going to laugh and maybe the majority of your friends will and they get it. But, you know, if, if you're diverse in your friend portfolio and you have a lot of friends with different beliefs and backgrounds, you do put yourself at risk that someone out there is going to see that post differently. And I think we put a lot of weight and pressure on Facebook per se. Um, that it's a mirror image of you. It's an extension of your personality. I know Facebook was initially designed to just be, you know, an ability to network and then share some cute photos of your vacation or your dog. But now it's become this expectation that your Facebook is an extension of who you are. So there's this, and, it, and it's kind of unsaid. I don't think it's really been a rule, but it's kind of evolved to be that way now in this, you know, current society that we're in that what I see you say or write on Facebook makes me, convinced that that's exactly how you would behave mm. in the real world. So I think it goes into saying to your point Aziz, if I were to see you post something like that, it does start to make me question your beliefs, your morals. Is this something that you actually would say if we were hanging out together in person? As a result of that, I start questioning, do what I want to be with you in person and associate myself with you. So all these questions and layers start adding up on what something to them might be considered innocent. But to your point, we're looking at it saying, I, I'm seeing a lot more than just a funny picture here. I, I'm, I don't know if you understand the gravity of, you know, this is telling me that by you being okay to put this out in public, if we were at a bar together, I, I have to believe that you would just say this mm -hmm. in front of me too. And I think people don't realize the gravity of Facebook nowadays and social media that we do treat it almost as an extension of our personalities. And it, it can, it can question your character a little bit based on what you're you say. Exactly post. right. Cause when I, when I did, you know, get up the courage to call my friend and talk to him about that post, that's what he said. He saw it as a joke. It was just a funny joke. Mm -hmm. It was nothing more. And he had no idea that I would be walking around carrying that with me. So you're right. And a lot of times we don't even have those conversations with people. We just mm -hmm. hit the unfriend button, you know, and then people just start questioning, well, why did I get unfriended? And then sometimes you may have that conversation. Many times you don't. And people just go on living, realizing oh, I got unfriended. And then you play this guessing game of what it was. So, and that's where people, the comfort levels of having those conversations comes in. You know, we're a little bit of keyboard warriors, but then when it comes push, so it comes to shove and you're confronted, Hey, why'd you unfriend me? Or what, what, what did I say? And now you really have to give them that feedback. Um, we have to be able to normalize these conversations more and more the, to be able to have the strength of saying, hey, your post was wrong and here's why. Well, I know you do not hesitate to unfriend, to delete. You will, <laughs> you will do it and move on with your life. <laughs> I have, yes. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this, because this is what this conversation is bringing up to me. Is it fair for, for you to do that? Or is it fair for any of us to delete unfriend people? Because like we just said, like, it's our first time having these conversations. They're happening on social media. That's not ideal, but that's the reality. People don't know how to do it. We haven't flexed this muscle. So is it fair to delete somebody who, who posts something offensive or joke that is not a joke, right? That is a micro or macro aggression. Is it fair knowing that this is our first go at it? Right. I, um, very complicated question because there really is no right or wrong answer. I definitely see both sides of it where I've seen people post saying, hey, let's all get along. Let's all agree to disagree and let's be friends and be civil and don't delete someone just simply because they posted something opposing. But then I also can see the side of someone saying, hey, if you posted something that really goes against my morals and my values as a human being, 
and enough to where now I'm going to be questioning your own character and our friendship and what you even think of me. Um, I can see where for their own mental health and for them to move forward, if they need to unblock to block that person or unfriend them, then you know what, you have to do what you have to do. Um, I think we put so much emphasis on social media friendships that in a way, if you get unfriended, it's indirectly a way of telling the person, well, we're no longer friends in real life. And so I know that there's a lot of weight that comes with being Facebook friends per se. And I use Facebook as an example because I feel like that one holds the most weight out of all of them. I feel like if I lost a follower on Instagram, I would have no idea, but somehow some way on Facebook, when you see it, 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 <laughs> it impacts you more. Um, I personally have unfriended people on Facebook simply because, um, and, and, it, and I think it goes off of looking at all different layers. One, your relationship with the person. Is this a relationship that you really value? Is this one that adds value to you? Um, is this one, a friendship that maybe you met years ago and you haven't seen each other again? And it's one of those, oh, let's be Facebook friends because we met for, for five minutes mm -hmm. on a, you know, at a bar one night. You know, looking at all of that to where, how much do you even value this relationship? Is this going to be an unfriend where, honestly, none of you are even going to notice? Um, then fine, you know, no harm, no foul. But if it's a family member or someone that you really have deep history with, I've ran into that situation a couple of times where I've had to then dissect that and look at and go, all right, I have enough respect and enough history with this person to, instead of just hitting the unfriend button, let me see if I can have a conversation. Let me see if I can engage in some sort of dialogue. And I have, and, and there's been times where unfortunately it's gone mm -hmm. south very quickly. And then that's when you have to make your decision and saying, all right, if this, if we're clearly going in different paths in life because of this, I have to make that call. Not to say that if I never saw you again at a family function or some sort of affair that I wouldn't be civil with you, but for my own mental health, I just don't wanna see your content and, and vice versa, I don't want you to see mine. So I don't think there's a, uh, it's immature to unfriend people. Um, I, I think as long as you're going about it in a way where you're, you're taking the time to truly not be knee jerk about it, um, then, then I'm sure, you know, th th then as long as you, or marking off all those check marks in your box then before you make a decision like that, then obviously, you know, you do what you have to do to be, you know, to make yourself be able to be better. Because at the end of the day, social media is meant to be fun and it's not meant to give you such angst. If someone's posting on your, if, some, if someone's always commenting on your posts and making you angry, then you know what, uh, then you might, might as well maybe not be friends with them on mm -hmm. Facebook. You know, it's, it's just, I think you just have to keep, take everything case by case. But I do know a few people who they can say the slightest thing or post the slightest thing and they'll be unfriended. And that that part I do feel is a little bit knee jerky and maybe um, maybe take a moment to reflect and, and sleep on it and see if it's a relationship worth throwing out, if you will, um, you know, give it some time. And if the person is still giving you that much anxiety 24 hours later or such, then, then yeah, obviously, you know, make your decision however you see fit. That's a great point. Yeah, I, I really agree with the... Um you know, taking a moment to pause, reflect, like marinate on it before you kind of make that decision. And it is so interesting because like you said on Facebook, it feels like such a such a big thing. Like, oh, I clicked the, you know, unfriend button. But again, like on Twitter, Instagram, like, I don't care. Like I'll <laughs> um, freeze a bird over there, you know, I'll follow you, unfollow you, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, one of the other things that has come up for me that I've been on social media is this idea of how we may or may not be creating our own echo chambers or maybe even just kind of being in our own echo chamber just is is like by design I don't know if um have, have you all watched the documentary the social dilemma have yes. you seen that uh -huh. have you seen it Lewis I have not I've I've heard all about it and to be honest it was Definitely things I pre 
pretty much kind of already knew or suspected, but people said watch it anyway because it is going to be an eye opener, and make you rethink how you go about social media. So, okay. But I have not watched. So it for any um, <laughs> for any listeners who may not have uh, may not have seen it, the <clears throat> very quick summation I'll just give of the point I took away from that is that social media is essentially designed I mean it's it's commercial they want to keep you on there as long as they possibly can and so whatever it is that you're interacting with the algorithm is going to give you more of that same thing and through your news feed and you're seeing either articles posted advertisements for things it's from other influencers and like recommendations that that um, social media applications making to you it's highly unlikely that those things are going to be uh, viewpoints or activities that are outside of your norm it's going to give you things that you already like because that's just human nature like we want to we want to belong it's you know birds of a feather flock together and so you tend to always be interacting with the same type of content and a lot of times um you know like my friend group my or my friend portfolio as lewis put it on facebook is pretty <laughs> diverse and sometimes i feel like that's the one way that I do get different perspectives is from seeing what people who have different political views than me, religious beliefs than me, um, even sexual orientation, right? Like any of those things, just the people who are different from me that I get a little bit of an insight into what they're thinking by seeing those posts. So I guess my ultimate question is just what are your thoughts on that line, you know, maintaining my inner peace and my mental and emotional health, um, eliminating things that are maybe having a toxic uh, impact on me, but also maintaining enough of an opening line of communication that I'm not becoming um, maybe very one-sided in the things that I see and becoming disconnected from like the full scope of reality that's really out there. That's, um... I guess I, I guess I can take that one if you want, uh, but um, I think that's just a great question, and and you've hit so many great points about the algorithms. Um, you know, I, I one example that comes to mind is the app TikTok. I've been using it recently, and I tell you, the second you watch one video in its full entirety, or you like something, anything with that hashtag or that similarity, you're going to see a million videos now coming up. And a lot of times you just sit there and you just assume that everyone using this app agrees with you or thinks the same way as you, but really it isn't the case. You're just, the algorithm knows what you like and what you seem to be drawn to and it's going to feed you that. Um, and I think we have to realize that more and more as we're on these apps that I, that there are so many different perspectives and so many different views and, and, and opinions out there, but naturally we're being set up uh, a little bit for failure by these by these social media apps because they know what we like, they know what we seem to be drawn to. So naturally, we are going to start seeing the posts of our friends that we agree with or like their posts the most at the top of the news feed. We're going to see advertisements for things. We're going to see articles for maybe more biased news sources on things on topics that we would typically lean towards. So we're scrolling enough times, assuming that the rest of the world is thinking this way, and we're the majority because. Uh, of the what what we're seeing that's coming when we Google something or the first things that we see on a search engine, but we have to recognize that the internet, it's not really our friend. It's it's a tool, and as long as we use it wisely, um, we we can stay ahead of the curve. But a lot of people do fall into that. That when they do finally see a friend post something that's so opposing, it's it's definitely more impactful because they can't believe that this person 
is thinking this way because we assume they're seeing the same stuff that we are, but we have to take into effect what are they being drawn into, what kind of news sources are they looking at, what, who are they friends with, and what are they posting, and who are they liking. Um, so, for example, thinking about politics, I notice I see a lot of posts from Democratic politicians come up on my news feed, and I get to see their opinions more so than I would see a Republican politician come up, probably because Facebook recognizes that maybe I put that on Facebook somewhere, mm -hmm. and they know that, and the system's constantly drawing that information from what I post and, and look and like. So um, I think we just need to recognize that there are other perspectives out there. And to your point on how do you maintain strong mental health, I think... I think it's okay to have friends, obviously, it's honestly not just okay, it's great to have friends with different perspectives. We don't want to always uh, have friends that always just agree with us and we agree with them. With that, that doesn't allow us to grow and expand our mind. I think it just depends on what the people are posting. Um, if someone's posting something that deeply goes against morals and, and incites violence or hatred in any kind, that's when you have to call time out and do that sort of unfriending pause and reflection and recognize, okay, can I even have a conversation with this person or are we just that disconnected? Um, but if someone's posting an opinion about um, a policy difference that we have on healthcare and things of that sort, I have, I'm very open-minded to say, let's talk about that. Let's hear why you don't think maybe universal healthcare is a good idea or things of that nature. Um, but when we start going into very deep and personal um, ideologies that honestly could end up hurting human beings, then, uh, then for me personally, there really is no room for dialogue there because I just don't know how we can bridge that, you know, and I, maybe there is a key to it as we continue these conversations, but I haven't gotten there yet personally. Um, and then also just how much time we spend on Facebook and how much time we spend on these social media apps. There are times where I probably do need to take a day's <laughs> break or just not look at it because of just watching people post and get mm -hmm. so angry. Even people that I would agree with, they just get so angry that um, and say things that even I wouldn't say, but, and I'm like, you know what, I think I'm just going to go back to watching my Netflix for a minute and just kind of live in the universe that I've been living in in Marvel or whatever, <laughs> whatever show I'm watching. Um, Cause I think the more you're on it, the more uh, it does become addicting and you just got to keep looking at it and it only aggravates you even more mm -hmm, from what you see. Definitely. No, I, I've definitely seen, um, or I can relate to that experience where I've seen people whose, you know, general views or whatnot, I would agree with. And it's like this mob mentality where like one, one person will put a comment on a post and, some conclusion got jumped to, and it and it's like a dog pile. I mean, people are just like claws out <laughs> that will, you know, go after. Um, not that not what that person's even necessarily talking about, like their belief. It's like it's personal. Like, how could you be so stupid, mm -hmm. or you're such an idiot, and like these types of things. So, like, I I'm I think I'm like you, Lewis. There's times where I just I'm like, okay, putting putting the phone down, <laughs> like. I'm in a social media yeah. timeout because it does get really intense. Um, well, I can give you an, I can give you a personal yeah. example from just this past Monday. Um, I, I share an opinion um, uh, that on Facebook about how I feel towards an attraction at the Epcot at Walt Disney world. And I, to your point, Jennifer, I had people and, and, and it's a perspective that, in this case, I, I feel we can do better with diversity. We can in, be more inclusive and thinking that it's a positive feedback about the, about the attraction. And there are people who are commenting on it, basically gaslighting me into believing that, no, Lewis, by you having this perspective, clearly you're in the wrong. And these are people that I generally would agree with politically, and we seem to be on the same side. But the second you post something that 
that even one time that they don't agree with, it's you can see how the tides can turn on you immediately. And people have seen all your posts and they know where you stand and they you like to believe that they know your values and your morals. But the second you post that one thing that they don't agree with, you put yourself out there for uh, repercussions and, 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 you know, and it kind of sat with me for a few days because uh, it, it just goes out to show that we have so much work to be had about what it's like to have a conversation, being able to respect someone's perspective of saying, hey, I don't really feel comfortable with this. And, it's, and maybe me personally looking at that saying, well, I don't see the issue with it. And instead of taking the route of, well, that's something wrong with you then for having this view, it, it, taking it from a side of help me understand why you thought it was uncomfortable. Maybe I'm not seeing it. Maybe, let, let, help me get there um, as opposed to always having to be on the defense. And, and that's something I think we need to definitely work on for sure about how we, because then people, then people who really do want to be an advocate for change and better inclusivity, um, they're not going to say much anymore. And we're going to miss this opportunity of having these conversations because people are afraid to um, mm-hmm. get the repercussions. Yeah, right. Can we, can we get really specific here? So I'm wondering, I'm wondering a couple of things. First, I'm wondering, Lewis, if you would share with us what you posted about um, whatever specific attraction at Epcot. And then I'm also wondering, my question part B is I'd like to ask both of you, who have you deleted? Like, you don't have to say their name, but have you deleted somebody? And what was that final straw? Like, I'd like us to get really specific because I wonder if our listeners can relate, have similar things going on, or, you know, if we can illustrate like where we are by, by something specific. So Lewis, would you feel comfortable yeah. sharing what you posted? Yeah, happy to. So it's, so if you're familiar with the attractions at Epcot, it's the living with the land attraction, um, where you go on a boat ride and you kind of go in their pavilion and you learn how they make and produce mm-hmm. different foods and vegetables and things like that. And at the end, there's a photo collage of different people of all different backgrounds and walks of life. And they're standing in front of a virtual background of a fruit or a vegetable. And the message and the, the, attention, the intention that I believe is that they wanna show the diversity and how we all can come together and we all together as a people in one enjoy food. And there's so much to gain from different learning experiences from how we do handle agriculture across the globe. But anytime I pass by this photo collage, I notice a pattern where the person looks very similar to the food item that's behind them. So for example, there's a black girl standing beside all these black coffee beans. There's a Hispanic man smiling and his teeth are showing, but his teeth are very clearly discolored. And he's in front of all these multicolored rice um, grains. There's an Asian couple, with emphasis on their face with their eyes as they're smiling. And as you know, of an Asian physical appearance, their eyelids are much narrower. Um, and that's just their, that's their genetic makeup. Um, but they were standing in front of corn and the cob with emphasis and zooming in on the narrow uh, pieces of the corn and the cob kernels. Um, and so as you look at this pattern of, of all these people standing in front of their respective photos, I personally can't help but wonder, are these people being assigned to these photos based on their color or their physical attributions? And as a result of that, I don't think the message is getting received. I know I'm, I think, especially as we're living in a world of being a little bit more mindful of our Mm -hmm. surroundings, 
um, that we can do better, you know, and I'm here definitely not questioning the company of Walt Disney Company. I mean, I, they're definitely very inclusive, but again, a learning opportunity is like, well, how can we be better? How can we look at things a little bit differently so that there's no room for error when we try to be diverse and it's not a boomerang where it comes back to hit us. Um, so I posted that feedback on my, on my Facebook and I said, I, this is kind of my perception of what I'm seeing. Now I had a few people agree with me and they go, yeah, I actually saw it as well. But I did have a few people challenge me and they go, well, Lewis, you're clearly in the wrong. That's not what the message is supposed to be. And I don't see that. So clearly you're wrong. And I'm paraphrasing here. And I actually had someone to say to me, you're really reaching, you know, you're really trying to find something oh, wow. here. And I didn't really engage with this person. I didn't want to have a public mm -hmm. fight for everyone to start reading, but it did sit poorly with me for a little bit for the past few days where I'm like, wow, okay, like I get that maybe you're not seeing it, but why did you, why did you feel the need to come mm. after me so personally to say, well, let's talk about why you're having this as if like, almost like you seem to want to see a racial issue. So maybe like, almost like, like I said, a little bit of gaslighting yeah. in there. And I didn't want to take that bait on a, on such a public platform um, and start having that dialogue there. And I'm, and I was happy to one off with the, with the person, but we didn't have that opportunity, but um no, I didn't unfriend the person. We're still friends. And, and you know, that's one of those instances where I'm like, maybe that I'll, I'll pause on this one and reflect, especially since the rest of the day was kind of a, my day at Epcot was kind of tarnished a little bit because all I could think about was those comments coming in. And of course, I sit there and I go, why do you even post it? <laughs> and you start thinking about all that. But I'm, I don't regret the post because I do think it's a conversation to be had. I, you know, we, we sit there and we think there's nothing wrong with this. And but you start looking at it from different angles. And you go, no, I, I think we could do better. It's not that I, I know we're living in this world of cancel culture and we immediately think, oh, that, I'm trying to say bulldoze the entire attraction. Not saying that, but by all means, definitely maybe we can look at bettering and, and being a little bit more um, open minded to the, to the uh, opportunities for diversity in this instance. Mm. So and amplify the intention. But the, that that was the specific post on Monday. And here it is Thursday that we're doing this. And I'm st I still end up thinking about it like, oh, gosh, like that didn't really sit well with me that I felt like I got so much criticism for, yeah. for raising that point of view. Yeah. I think that's so intriguing because I've been on that attraction wow. multiple times. I, I, I don't remember the scene that you're talking about, but I know that it definitely did not pop out to me when I was on it. And now I feel like I need to go back and look at it with fresh eyes and see. Me um, too. Because I think that's part of this whole conversation with, you know, and the conversations that Aziza and I have been having and just realizing like, well, this is, this was my worldview and this is how I saw things. And then she shares something and you're like, holy smokes, like I never thought of it that way. But now that like, now that I see it, I can't unsee it, you know, and that may be the same thing where whoever that individual was, if like I've been on that attraction a million times and it's one of my favorites like how dare you but maybe now if they go again they may be like oh my gosh like lewis was actually right like now i see it and i can't see it right and and, and maybe they, and maybe mm -hmm. they still won't agree and i'm not asking for you know no, you right, have right. to agree with me or your opinion is wrong so of course i, I want that respect in return of course right so i, I totally respect people for going and go i just really don't see what you see lewis and it's fine and that's okay i but i do wonder if people assume that that's what i'm mm -hmm. thinking and so that's why they feel like the defenses have to go up because it's like are you calling me a racist mm -hmm. and it's like this post was not meant for you it's not <laughs> it's not like if you don't it, it, it really it, so that's where you start wondering that and again because of social media not being able to hear your tone or be able to see your non-verbal cues people immediately read into all these different posts and what you say and that's when um it can get a little sticky and you get into that gray area a little bit 
um, to where now I had someone to another attraction for it's a small world, which is a ride that embraces uh, diversity, at least in my perception, right? But someone brought up a good point. You go into specific sections and they're broken up by country. So in a way, they're kind of segregated from each other. There's such a, there's no unity. There's no French dancing with people from mm -hmm. Africa. There's no America dancing with people from Asia. They're all kind of in their own little room. You go into the Polynesian room or you go into the Europe room and they're all in their respective countries. And I, I never thought anything about it, but I go, wow, what an opportunity here to maybe even be more inclusive by having all these dolls dance together and not just have a French scene and a German scene, like actually integrate mm -hmm. everyone. Um, that doesn't mean I think it's a small world needs to get canceled, but again, an opportunity to look at things a little bit differently and say, oh, I didn't see that before. I can see your perspective. I'm still going to go ride the ride. I still think it's a great attraction, but I do respect other people's perceptions on now thinking, hell, you actually brought up a good idea. Let's think about it. But I do think some people are afraid to admit that because then indirectly are they admitting that I'm prejudiced or I, I, I didn't see it before. So that makes me a bad person. I don't have good morals. So now they feel the need to put this wall up and say, this is cancel culture and you're being too sensitive and our country doesn't know how to take a joke or our country doesn't, you know, they, they want everything. And, you know, and then that's when we now, instead of having a productive conversation, we start slinging mud uh, in the keyboard warrior format. And then the conversation got lost. Were the people that kind of, were the people that disagreed, Lewis, or the people that weren't open to hearing it or seeing it a different way, were they all white people? Yes. Because when you were talking about like putting up the wall and feeling the need to defend it, I, I went back to a book Jennifer and I both read called White Fragility, where... And you even said it, you're like, this post is not for you. <laughs> but like sometimes <laughs> white people will take it so personally and they feel like they have to explain and and declare that they are not racist and that this is not this is not us being racist. This is something else. You're reaching or whatever. They feel like they have to say that because they feel personally attacked. And something that I've been trying to do more, I guess, call it a New Year's resolution as we're living in this current time now where we're having these conversations. But I recognize, you know, that being a white male, I have to take a backseat on some of these uh, perceptions because I am in no way in a position to dictate to people of color or people of different be beliefs and backgrounds to say, well, no, this is how your opinion should be or this is how it should be perceived. If someone were to come to me and say, hey, I'm actually feeling uncomfortable about this certain attraction or this certain story or a certain TV series that I think is a timeless classic, right? I'll use, uh, I'll use Friends as an mm -hmm. example. I mm -hmm. love Friends. I've been watching it. But I have a few people come to me saying, I actually don't think it's aging well and I actually think there are several episodes that are mm -hmm. offensive. Yes, a part of me wants to sit back and go, oh, I have to defend that. But I've been taking a more active approach to be like, well, help me understand the why. Let me go back yes. to these episodes and hear the jokes and hear the punchlines. And then maybe I, maybe I will still not necessarily agree 100%, but now I'm being a little bit more open-minded mm -hmm. to recognize in the future, yeah, I can definitely see there's a better way to word these things. But I also have to recognize too that a TV series, for example, like Friends also came out 20 somewhat years ago and we were living in a very different era where different statements were maybe perceived not as sensitive as they are now, but that doesn't mean that we're being worse off. It just shows that we're evolving and having more mm -hmm. conversations and being a little bit more open-minded. And as long as we take that approach that we're not so quick to have to defend ourselves and we go in more with that listen to understand versus to reply approach, we can end up having a lot more productivity for the future and not having to 
worry that oh we're you know we're we're being too sensitive and we're downplaying everything and all this stuff no not at all it just shows that we're being a little bit more sensitive to how other people might perceive things you like what you like you you know enjoy what you want to enjoy love friends hate friends that's your you know that you know whatever you want to do right but be um at least open-minded to understanding that someone else may not have the same opinion Mm -hmm. as you and i think that's what people are afraid of that if they don't share that same view and they want to say, Hey, actually there's something offensive here that, that, that immediately now you have to defend yourself because you feel as if the person indirectly is calling you a racist or a homophobe yeah, and things that's like a great... that. And it's not always the case. And I think it's, it's, I think it's not just having the same or differing opinion. It's also having the same or differing experience than you, because I think that's sometimes the part that's missed. Like this is fine. Like this joke is fine. This is fine. But is it fine for a, a, an entire group of people, be it who, whatever group it is, to have to kind of just dust off their shoulders and continue? Is that is that what you want? Is that the impact that you want to have on other people? So I think it's it's the opinions, and some people can't handle people having a different opinion, but if it's sometimes even deeper that it's a different experience. Like I'm I'm experiencing this joke differently than you are. Like I am now. Yeah not thinking that I'm as pretty as you, or I am now thinking that who I love is not as um, valid as, as you, right? Like that's, that's an experience that I'm having. So it's no longer an opinion. It's, it's actually an experience mm-hmm. that we're impacting. Great point. What I was going to say, going back to that friends example, Lewis is, um, you know, I, I think it completely makes sense that as time passes and we evolve and, we you know know better do better uh, that things like this come up and and it's so easy to to look back at shows that came out in were popular in say the 40s or the 50s and be like oh my gosh like that's so backwards you know um watch those sitcoms and kind of poo poo it because none of us were well the three of us anyway on this call we were not alive then and so it feels very distant and it's very easy to say like oh well of course like that's old-fashioned or that is not what we would say or do today but then you fast forward and something like friends it's like people feel mm-hmm. everybody but I can see how like something that maybe I grew up watching and friends is not an example that I have that I could necessarily relate to but if it was a show that I grew up watching and I loved and I adored, and then someone's like, oh, well, actually, um, that show's like a little bit backwards and can be offensive, that you're mm-hmm. like, no, like I grew up, I grew up watching this show. The show is great, you know, and you want to, your initial reaction is to defend or to explain why it was great or, mm-hmm. or whatever it may be, versus, you know, it is hard to do what you're saying and to, check yourself and just say like well help me understand or let me go back and like re-see with a different lens maybe what um, somebody else's experience was with that show all right so now that we've effectively rained on your love and emotional commitment to the friends tv series we're going to pause our conversation here and pick back up in two weeks with the second part of our conversation with lewis yes we look forward to seeing you in two weeks we're going to continue our dive into how the business of social media influences our worldviews until then remember now is not the time to be fragile and continue to choose kindness.